All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're live, so we'll go ahead and get started. I want to, first of all, welcome everyone out there watching to our second installment of uh, what we're just calling Kentucky Academy of Sciences 2021 Legislation You Should Follow. We're in day 22 of 30 of the Kentucky Legislative Session, and things are starting to heat up. I know uh, Lane, Fitz, and Randy, and some others are probably pretty tired at this point because they've been going all day, and uh, there's an NRE meeting very early in the morning. So I'm honored that we have such a such a great all-star panel with us tonight. We have back with us Lane Bowman with KCC, as well as Randy Strobo. We really appreciate having you guys back, as well as Tom Fitzgerald, known as Fitz, uh, who's the, the king of science policy, as some have said, in the state of Kentucky. So we're happy to have him here. And uh, we also have Kaylin Glover, who's the president of Kentuckians for Science Education. And KES and KSC work very closely together on reviewing science policy. So welcome to everyone. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Good to be here, Trent. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so before we get started, why don't we take about uh, maybe 10 or 15 seconds each and, and, enter, and introduce ourselves. I know that uh, not everybody watched last time, so we'll just go down the list and Lane and Randy, I know you did this last time, but if you don't mind just saying your name and who you're with and that sort of thing, we'll, uh, we'll start with you, Lane, Randy, since you're with the same organization, then we'll go Fitz and then Kaylin. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, my name is Lane Boldman. I'm with the Kentucky Conservation Committee. Um, we do uh, just like Fitz, we do uh, legislative lobbying, and uh, uh, we've been uh, an organization that's been around since 1975, and we work in a cooperative manner to help uh, citizens groups and uh, citizens to be more effective at the state legislature and in state government. Hey everybody, I'm Randy Strobo. Um, I work with KCC. I kind of serve as their legislative consultant. And I have a small firm in Louisville, small kind of environmental public interest firm, Strobel Barkley. Um, I got my career started with uh, Fitz as a law clerk at KRC back a long time ago. Um, but yeah, happy to be here and uh, happy to join you guys again. And I can also say that despite having been one of my students, Randy turned out okay. So it just shows you the resiliency of youth. Uh, <laughs> I'm Tom Fitzgerald. I'm director of the Kentucky Resources Council, at least up until the next December, this December, actually. Uh, and uh, we do uh, legislative uh, advocacy. Uh, mostly the work that we do is defensive in nature. Occasionally we'll be asked to write a good bill, but most of the work that we do is to try to prevent damage from occurring. KCC has always carried the affirmative work that the conservation community has done and, and uh, historically um, has uh, united the different groups around priority bills. Uh, but lately we've all been doing a lot of defensive lobbying, uh, trying to uh, stop the weakening uh, or the uh, underfunding of different initiatives. So happy to be here, pleased as can be to have the science community engaged in these matters because um, so much of the discussion uh, unfortunately is about anecdotes and about feelings and not about data and not about sound scientific principles. So uh, to the extent that the community is engaging in informing the debate, we all are the better for that. So happy to be here, happy to be here with my colleagues and friends Lane and and Randy and Trent. 
Uh, I'm Kaylin Glover. I'm the president of Kentuckians for Science Education. Um, I'm getting my PhD at the University of Kentucky, um, and I am a big believer in engaging with the public. And that's really what KSE does, is we try to bridge the gap between what the scientists are doing, what the science is doing, um, and what the public understands. Um, and so we're not just about public education, we're about um, trying to just improve the relationship between science and the public, because that is where we have to start in order to help prevent the erosion <laughs> of science. <laughs> I'm Trent Garrison, I'm the president of KES and the chair of the Education and Advocacy Committee, which is uh, basically our, our legislative committee. And like I said, we work very closely with KSE. And I think these types of coalitions are very, very important. Uh, a lot of times scientists are, you know, we do, we do really good research, um, but we've been accused of being in our ivory towers and not getting out and, and not really knowing, especially locally, what's going on with the, with the uh, legislative community in Kentucky. So I, I hope that, that this continues to grow and we become more and more involved in that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm very happy to have all of you all on here tonight. So let's just jump right into it. I have put together a PowerPoint because I'm an academic and that's what we do. And uh, it's just one slide though. So <laughs> this, is this is really just to, to start the discussion on, uh, on what we discussed last time and where we're going tonight. So what I've done is if, if you look at the top, I put bills that we discussed last time. So last time Lane and Randy did a really good uh, summary of House Bill 159. 260 and 559. All of those are House bills. Uh, House Bill 159 is the water fluoridation bill. That one is not moving, so uh, we don't really need to talk about that anymore at this point unless people have questions. And I am watching for questions. I have uh, four screens pulled up here, so I, I'm, if anybody has any questions, post in the, on the main page and I'll try to get to them. Uh, House Bill 260 is the plastics ban. Uh, that's That's been introduced several times in different formats and uh, it's not going anywhere as far as we know. And House Bill 559, that's the PFAS chemical ones that uh, Lane and Randy did a really good job of explaining last time. And uh, as far as I know, there haven't been any updates on that since last week. Uh, and uh, does anybody have any comments on that one before we move on to the others? Yeah, no, those those weren't anticipated to move. They were all filed by Democratic uh, uh, representatives. So um, we don't anticipate them moving at all. Okay. But it's great uh, to have the conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so let's just move on then to the next two. I have House Bill 207 and House Bill 386. 207 is the utilities preemption bill. And that one passed Natural Resources and Energy today, and it's heading for final passage apparently. And so is House Bill 386. That's the bioaccumulation one that we discussed last time. So. Uh, I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, Lane had, had suggested, I believe, that that fits, since you weren't here last time, that if you want to take the lead on some of these, you're, you're more than welcome to. Got, got you on mute. That's going to be the uh, catchword of 2021 is you're on mute. Uh, either that or for us lawyers, it's going to be, I'm not a cat, Judge. Um, so uh, let me start with uh, 207. Um, this is, uh, as was probably explained last week, a, a couple of cities have uh, imposed 
requirements, typically through their building codes, that new construction be all electric. And they've done that because they're trying to lighten their carbon footprint. And they've realized that even though the electricity may be generated by gas, um, that uh, utilizing all electric is, is uh, lower in terms of its carbon footprint than using gas for heating, space heating, or gas for stoves. So uh, Berkeley was, I think, the first one, and then there have been a number of others that are, are looking at that. And what this is, is an effort uh, to, uh, under the guise of we need all fuels, uh, to have all gas all the time. In fact, it was amended today in committee to include propane because somebody had left that out. Um, what's really funny is the, the folks that are pushing it is, is the gas industry, right? But they've got a, a uh, AstroTurf group uh, called the Consumer Energy something or another, which is funded by the fossil fuel companies and periodically shows up and says, we're representing the consumers. And I'm like, really? Well, then I'm an enlightened industrialist, okay? Because um, you are basically an AstroTurf group. Uh, they've been called out before because they're funded by the who's who of the fossil fuel industry under the guise of being consumer protection. So that's, you know, when you have them there, you know, almost by definition, this bill is not a good bill. Um, so the bill, bill passed committee, uh, the League of Cities has the carve outs in it that they want uh, so that they believe it doesn't do any great harm. Uh, it carved out zoning, for example, it carved out the Public Service Commission, it carved out a couple of other different uh, types of power that local governments have. And, you know, if the bill is ever uh, challenged, it's special legislation that is intended to, uh, to uh, prevent the natural gas industry from being frozen out by local governments. The thing that I find offensive is not that we have a bunch of governments in Kentucky who are attempting to go that way, although we do have some that have, have adopted resolutions to go to 100% to, to green power eventually, which would not include natural gas anyway. Um, the uh, you know, it's, it is inartfully drafted, it's overbroad, and um, it, it is uh, attempting under the guise of discrimination to favor certain fuels over other fuels. So it's a, you know, it's a foolish bill, but it's not one that is really going to have much material impact in terms of what cities do or don't do uh, to address their carbon footprint, uh, at least in Kentucky. The other bill, uh, 386, could be called the Westlake Vinyls uh, Mixing Zone Bill. It's, it, it is a classic example of how you can draft really bad legislation to try to fix a problem that only affects one water discharger in the Commonwealth. Admittedly, Westlake Vinyls is a major employer in the area. I don't want to minimize the economic impact they have on the area. But basically what it would do is to say that um, you uh, cabinet if you, you need to continue to allow any mixing zones that were in effect in 2003 that allowed bioaccumulative chemicals of concern to be uh, to use mixing zones in order to meet the water quality standards for the, the receiving river or stream, we're talking about rivers in this case. Um, and and it, it is a major step backwards uh, and is uh, actually has some provisions in it that, that ironically will require a bunch of other dischargers to tighten their standards, uh, which the Chamber of Commerce was just informed of today. And so I think they're gonna be asking leadership to put a break on it. So I've been in 
in conversation and negotiations with the Energy and Environment Cabinet and with the lobbyists for Westlake and with the Senate uh, sponsor, who is uh, Senator Danny Carroll, someone I have a lot of respect for, uh, in trying to find a non-legislative solution that will give the company a path forward similar to what Orsanko did, saying that if you need, still can demonstrate that you need a mixing zone to meet the standards for a biocumulative chemical concern, you got to show that you've done everything possible to, to meet the standards. You have to continue to review the technology in order to, to, uh, uh, to demonstrate that. You're going to have to do a mass balance analysis to show that you're not going to have any acute uh, toxic impacts, uh, and you need to do some other things. And then you will, in a, in a permit, be allowed to continue to discharge for a five-year period, but then it's going to be re-reviewed, right? So in, the reality is, is right now, no other discharges from 2004 are using mixing zones for bioaccumulative chemicals of concern. It was banned in 2004, and those who were doing it before could continue to go until 2018. And then they were required to, you know, 20 years later, they were required to stop. Westlake is an outlier. They have been operating under a greed order for about 20 years, and they still can't meet their numbers, which are in parts per trillion for hexachlorobenzene. Uh, so this bill is a legislative fix to a technical problem that needs to be resolved between the cabinet and the company. Uh, and uh, we've suggested as much that both the cabinet needed to move a little bit, that the company had gone way overboard with this bill. But, and, and so I think the message has gotten through. And even though it passed out of committee, I think that there has been communication between the cabinet and Westlake's attorneys. There was a letter that went out today that suggested a path forward that would require some things of Westlake. For example, one of the, you know, the issue is hexachlorobenzene and they're at a non-detect level because they use the diffuser to rapidly stir up their discharge when it goes into the river. But part of the problem is they've got contaminated soil on their property and it's leaching hexachlorobenzene. So it may well be that if they can isolate the soil and remediate that soil contamination, that they're no longer going to be leaching that into their drainage system. So it may not be a technology issue at all. That's the sort of thing that the, hopefully the cabinet in Westlake will be able to work out. But this is a classic example of unintended consequences from legislative fixes to technical problems. The, the, the little irony in there is that it says that, that um, the cabinet has to, uh, to consider rapid diffusion through multi-port diffusers in setting standards. What that will do for the other 33 discharges who use these diffusers is it's going to require the cabinet to tighten the standards on their discharges, which they're not gonna be thrilled about once they figure out what the bill actually does. So that um, that's the long and the short of it. Uh, the bill is one of those bills that is a special legislation intended to help one discharger um, that is inartfully drafted and has lots of unintended consequences. Well, thanks for explaining that. I, I wanted, th this is the meat of the conversation, so I wanted to give a little bit more time for these, for these two bills and, uh, and, and advanced recycling is under there as well because it, it, it moved since last week. But um, 
Kaylin, if you have any questions or, or Lane or Randy, if you have any other comments before uh, before I get to my question. I don't think we have any coming in yet, so. Yeah, I'll just, go, well, go ahead, Kaylin. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just gonna make a comment on, on HB 207, um, the fuel switching bill. It's just interesting when you look at the evolution of you know, the messaging on energy. I mean, uh, in Kentucky forever, it was coal 24 seven. We can't have anything that's a threat to coal. Now it's, um, you know, gas. We can't have anything that's a threat to gas, but you know, gas prices can be volatile. And that's what we saw in Texas recently. So, um, but the argument they were using on this bill was uh, we need an all of the above strategy so that you know, we're not favoring one fuel over another, but, but like Fitz says, that's actually what this does. Yeah. And it is ironic because we've been, we were all coal all the time for about 30 years. Yep. Kaylin, did you have a question? Yeah, I was going to ask what you wish that the public understood about this dynamic between, um, you know, the companies that are trying to put in these laws and the consumers that are actually used are the ones that are going to be um, affected by them. Well, I, I think what people need to understand is that the level of understanding of the committee members that are considering and passing these bills is, is pretty shallow for the most part. You got an occasional legislator who's down in the weeds and understands this stuff. But most of what people understand, when the legislators understand is a particular legislator says, this is important to my district. It means a lot of jobs. And, um, and my, my company just wants regulatory certainty. And so our message is when you exceed the bounds of what the law requires and you carve special exceptions for folks, it's not fair and it's not generally gonna work. Um, so we just want people to understand, you know, there are sources where you can get information to help you break down what some of these bills mean. The KCC does a, a, a weekly update. We do a weekly update. The, uh, there are other organizations out there that, um, that are attempting to protect the public interest uh, that have updates, whether it be economic justice or racial justice or, um, or justice for for former convicts in terms of voting rights. And so there's resources out there uh, that, that you can use to help you decipher what's going on with these bills, because a lot of them appear very technical and appear very difficult to, to comprehend. Uh, and and um, so just never feel shy to ask and never feel shy to reach out to your legislator to say, uh, I'm concerned about this. What information can you send me? Um, because they're there for you. You put them in an office and they stay there only by your graces. The other add. fundamental issue, Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, like Go ahead. Nope. Uh, just to add to Fitz, I mean, uh, he touched on it uh, when he was talking about HB 386, the mixing zone bill, but the fundamental issue will be, uh, another fundamental legal issue behind it is when does the legislature, when should they delegate the authority to make these decisions to the cabinet and when should they keep it themselves? And just like Fitz just said, there are some pretty bright legislators, but I can guarantee you, just like Fitz said, most of them have no idea what that bill means or how it works and what the implications of that bill would be. Fitz identified a pretty serious, you know, side effect of the bill, which means it's going to impact, you know, 30 or so other permit holders um, and how they deal with those chemicals. So, you know, it's a fundamental decision of the legislature. Do we have the expertise to really know what we're doing with this bill? 
or should we let the experts, you know, in the cabinet deal with it? And right now they're trying to say that, you know, we, <laughs> well, we want to control that and they want to control it without knowing what the bill actually does. And that's, that's a problem. And that's a problem with uh, legislators, not just Kentucky, but all over the country and federal government. Yeah. And just yeah. to build on that, a lot of times what you're seeing structurally is a perpetual tension between polar principles in the legislature, right? The legislature always says, we believe in local control. Well, they do up until the point where they want to override it because some special interest doesn't want local control, such as House Bill 207, right? They, we love the Public Service Commission taking on these issues until we don't, because now we're going to mandate that they accept water districts late fees, even though the evidence shows that late fees don't affect residential behavior. Uh, we're going to order that how they value uh, severance taxes for the purposes of uh, competitive bidding on coal. Uh, so, you know, we, 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 we say that we value these principles, but then we violate them when somebody's ox is getting gored and we think we need to step in. So there really is almost a schizophrenia going on um, among the underlying policies that drive some of these debates. And the important thing for the public to understand too is, is the whole transparency issue. And, and it'd be great if the public was holding their lawmakers more accountable to that. And this session is a really good example. Not only are the lawmakers having very little time to digest these bills, but there's a lag time from when they get posted in any way that the public can actually see them. So it's important, uh, that's, that's why it's important to check KRC's list, KCC's list on a regular basis. But even we uh, have very, very little time um, to review these bills, get them up online, get the word out to the public. Um, and as soon as you see something that bothers you, just call us up and we can give you the details we have, but, but then call your lawmakers and tell them, hey, you know, this isn't a transparent process. It's unfair. I have people that have an interest and I need you to take more time to listen to me. That, that brings up a, a question that I have. So Kentucky Academy of Science has a, a large membership all across Kentucky from undergraduate students to just people interested in science to graduate students to academics to people in industry you know 40 4300 members or something like that we have a speakers bureau kind of like an experts bureau of i don't know 300 and something people that we don't utilize as much as we should and um you know i, I reached out to somebody the other day who has a phd in um something related to bioaccumulation and unfortunately he wasn't able to be with us but you know, we, we have a lot of people who could be helpful as far as, um, as knowledge base and testifying and that sort of thing. So how does an organization like Kentucky Academy of Science or Kentuckians for Science Education fit into to this process? That's a really good question. Go ahead. Yeah, that, no, that's a good question. I mean, at, and there are other people out there that actually tried to get in to testify on some of these bills, HB 272, the water bill, um, uh, they, uh, the, uh, the, 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 um, oh my God, just flew out of my brain, but there's a, there's a water network out in Eastern Kentucky that uh, has been working on this issue. They made requests to testify and they, and nobody answered them. So that's very frustrating. Um, you know, they're, they're used to calling Fitz. Fitz is always available. Um, and, and that's a, uh, relationship that's, taking place over many, many years, but it's harder for other people to get in sometimes. Yeah, we've, yeah. Whoops. Go ahead. We, we've testified on a, a couple of occasion, occasions 
back in the day, but uh, you know, so far we've written letters and taken stances, and we have those on our website. But that's uh, about the extent of what we've done this time around. So uh, yeah, that advice is helpful. Go ahead. Yeah, the uh, yeah the one thing to do is 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 you have your members reach out to their legislators. Everybody's got a state rep. Everybody's got a senator. Reach out. Have them introduce themselves. Best time to do it is during the interim because now things are a little bit crazy. Say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Just want to let you know I'm trained in thus and such. I'm part of a network that has extensive scientific background. If you've got questions, please reach out to us. Let us help inform. If you've got bills that you're interested in or bills that you're concerned about, please reach out to us. Also, wanted to let you know that there will be times when I will be reaching out to you and would like the ability to speak on some bills that are of concern. And I would appreciate if when I, when I contact you, if you would let the sponsor know and you would let the committee chair know that I would like to speak on these bills. And one of the things that, that uh, uh, <clears throat> doing op-eds on bills of concern or doing op-eds on issues generally, we believe that as these issues are being looked at, there should be better involvement of the scientific community. And we stand ready to help inform these debates. For example, several years back, Chairman Gooch decided he wanted to bring in a climate denier. I was there. They, he had to go to the third Viscount of so-and-so, Lord Moncton, <laughs> who reminds me of that drunken character on West Wing who plays the British ambassador. And this guy, you know, believed that everybody who has AIDS should be put on a, a separate island and had all sorts of other really brilliant ideas. But they had to go out and reach out to him to find somebody who could make the argument about climate denial. Um, you know, in something like that. Keith Mountain should have called up and said, hey, I'm a climate researcher here at the University of Louisville. I'd like to speak on the issue, right? Um, but so, and, and in terms of getting, uh, getting uh, the possibility of being able to testify on things, reach out to the chair of the House and the Senate committees. Say, hi, want to let you know we're here. Want to let you know we have a speaker's bureau. If you want somebody to come speak during the interim on issues, happy to do it. Want to let you know that we are interested in what's going on in the legislature, and want to make sure that uh, uh, that that the voice of the scientific community, which is not otherwise being heard, gets heard. So, just want to let you know we'll be reaching out and would would, would like to have some time. That's you an excellent, that's excellent advice. It's an excellent point, and uh, you, we we should we should do more of that. And uh, I, I certainly plan on it. I, I think Kaylin does as well. Oh, that's like my jam. <laughs> So I, we, I think about that all the time, how we um, view legislators as, as un, untouchable, uncommunicating, uncommun um, but that's, that's not the case necessarily. They have yeah. their own ideology, but usually the issue is trying to sort through the information they're getting. And so the way to convince them is they have to trust you as a person. They have to know right. you. You have to be a reliable person who's not just going to go like spam them with with phone calls whenever you don't like something. Right. Um, it's about a relationship, and I think we overlook that. And I think as scientists, we are really bad sometimes at relationships because we think that the numbers should speak for themselves. 
but we aren't completely immune to bias and to, I mean, like we like to think we are, but we're not, we train ourselves to, um, but okay. it takes effort. But it's, uh, let's say there's a, oh, I forgot who said it, but a non, a non a scientist speaking about a non-scientific um, topic is just as stupid as everyone else. Like we have to keep ourselves in check. We are people and they are people too. And if we want to help them understand the things that we've dedicated our lives to understanding, they have to trust us first. That's, that's, really that's, what, that's why it's good as Fitz said to just have a conversation with them because you can learn a lot just by listening to what's on their minds and you can tell right away what they're probably not getting the best information on and then that helps you prepare for your follow-up conversation with them. Yeah, and there's, um, if you go to their website, um, you will find out where they went to school, what they do for a living, and, um, and some other information about them, right? Um, you, you'll find that there is so much more that unites us than really divides us. And, and as you said, um, and I thought it was a very good point, um, the, the folks in the legislature, I'd say 90% or more. Now, Mike Cherry, who was one of the committee chairs said I was being generous, but are there because they want to do what they think is the right thing, right? And they come at things with their own worldview built of their own experiences and their own biases and their own background. And, and there, it is hard sometimes to, to get through that bias, but it's not impossible. And, and the conversations are what are important, you know? What was really funny is today, uh, the Senate passed a bill to encourage uh, Kentucky to go big on creating incentives for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency mining. I guarantee you that not more than three people in that chamber understand what cryptocurrency mining is. Yeah, I had that one on the list. That was uh, oh from last my god! <laughs> it was you know it's an incredibly energy intensive thing, and we had a couple of legislators say, "Yeah, my kid was involved in that," you know, and like this is the wave of the future, and and you know, and blockchain technology. You could almost hear some of the legislators going, "Blockchains, yeah, I had to use that to get my car out of the mud that time." Um, oh no, that's a block end chain. Never mind. But it was just really funny because you could see that you know a goodly number of folks in the chamber are going huh what you know and just it was so it was really interesting um and and on something like that that comes up that has this you know has some scientific ramifications um it's important that somebody be out there to be an honest broker for information and that is you know um and you know if you deal in hyperbole you're not going to last very long as a source of information and that's where I think the scientific community, which is always very humble about hedging what is known and what is not known and has, although there is bias, there is a method that tries to minimize that. Um, I think that that's important, particularly in an era where bias and emotion and anecdote is all too often governing over data and facts. And, and in the case of the blockchain bill, I mean, the ramifications are huge, right? It's a huge energy sink. It's there's several bills related to this that are giving tax breaks, tax credits. Um, you know, this is real money to the people and we wanna make sure it's well invested. And 
people just have a very top level understanding of what this even is. I, I remember two years ago when the topic first came up, uh, Reggie Thomas came up to me and said, well, you know computers, can you tell me about this blockchain stuff? <laughs> well, you know, be good to go consult a deeper expert on that to truly understand what it is that you're getting involved in. Yeah, so uh, we're. Uh, this is a really good discussion. Uh, we got about 10 minutes left and we have some more bills, but we also have some comments. So I, I'd like to get to a few comments first. Um, John Cotton, he's a, a solar installation expert. Uh, some of you may know him. And he, he asked, can we address Senate Bill 266? And we actually have that one on the list. And that's the, that's the one that prevents solar installation on agricultural land. So um, if you want to make some like, relatively quick comments on that one, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, we did a whole session at our legislative summit about uh, solar and agricultural land. Uh, what I understand is Senator West um, just had some constituents in the neighboring county that have been pretty fired up, uh, an installation that was proposed for Clark County. Um, and the locals just, you know, they, they weren't given a good heads up. The solar company apparently didn't really do a good job engaging the community in advance, and um, they were just flat out against it from the beginning, but I, I don't see that one moving. Do you, Fitz or Randy? No, I, I don't see it moving. Uh, the fact that it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't filed by uh, Ralph Alvarado is, is speaks volumes because he represents most of Clark County. Basically what happened is exactly as Lane said, the, um, the, the solar developer came in, was negotiating for about nine months with the county officials and didn't bother to tell the public and there's a guy from one of the universities who charges everybody a lot of money to tell them that there's a correlation between risk and outrage. If people feel excluded, their sense of the perceived risk elevates. Um, what happened is early on, uh, I was working with the Clark Coalition, which is the group that opposes it. And if you read the article that just came out uh, that was put together by uh, the Northern Kentucky uh, paper as part of the Ohio River uh, uh, resource, uh, Ohio, yeah, it's the public radio resource that is the Ohio Valley. Yeah. Um, basically, what everybody was saying is we don't necessarily oppose solar. We're just pissed off about the way the process unfolded. So they've now backed up and they're looking at creating rules of the road. Um, in the meantime, we realized that there are about 20 other installations that were then on the board that are solar scale installations that are coming to Kentucky because uh, we've got the sun and we've got access to the interstate grids. And um, so we've got a number of companies that have done really good engagement with the public. They've reached out to different organizations. They've reached out to local governments um, that have done it right. And they're not seeing the same sort of pushback uh, but we did a, a background paper on the relationship of the siting board to zoning, and we did a model ordinance based on national best practices on how you can protect prime and highly uh, significant uh, productive farmland and how you can minimize these sort of conflicts uh, and how you can facilitate rooftop solar and intermediate solar. So it's been a well-received a uh, number of communities are using it as a, as a model and making adjustments as they should to meet their own needs. But it was just an unfortunate situation where people, if people feel excluded, uh, and the first they find out about a project is when somebody's out there trying to, to lease land, uh, they're gonna be pissed. And I can tell you, it's never gonna go well. And yeah. uh, that's what happened. 
And we just want to make sure that doesn't set the tone for what the majority yeah. of people think. There are a lot of farmers that are really interested in this. There's a lot Absolutely. of representatives that have these developments coming up in their districts. And as long as people have an elevated, healthy, transparent conversation, I think uh, all the concerns can be heard and all the issues can be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, yeah, so I don't the bill's not going to go anywhere, but it sends a, a clear message that if you don't engage, this is what you may end up with. Gotcha. Dr. Scott Wicker, who we had a really good conversation with last week, teaches at uh, Kentucky State University. He says scientific diplomacy is a trade tra tradecraft that we need to practice daily. And uh, KES needs to push back on misinformation and pivot to information intelligence and the power of faulty information campaigns. So those are those are really good points. And I know Scott mm -hmm. is uh, associated with STEM uh, at, at KSU, so we're happy to have his happy to have him here and happy to have his input. Uh, we we're a little short on time. I, I don't really have a whole lot to do, but I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> uh, so I'll put up the I'll put up the remaining ones on the list here. We've gone through the first uh, couple of bullet, first uh, six or seven bullet points. But uh, if there's anything else on here, I know Fitz, you had, you had mentioned uh, House Bill 456 and 272, that those are the water bills. Yeah, 465, actually. Um, for anybody who lives in the Lexington, Central Kentucky area, Kentucky American for years has been trying to, to push a legislative uh, agenda that would allow them to value acquired uh, water systems that they purchased, like Owenton and some others, at higher than the depreciated book value. Now, the Public Service Commission all, already allows that to occur on what's called the Delta test. Uh, if you demonstrate that what you're doing is of, of, of great benefit to the ratepayers of the acquiring utility and the current utility, uh, and you show that there's economies of scale and other positive things. So we pushed back for years and stopped that bill from going anywhere. This time around, they came in and said, okay, we don't wanna mandate fair market value. We know that's a toxic word, you know, phrase. We just wanna incorporate the Delta test into statute. So there's been a lot of back and forth and back and forth. We finally came up with a statute, uh, statute that it, the Municipal utilities are okay with, though not thrilled. The Public Service Commission is okay with, I'm okay with, but not thrilled. And um, a couple of other entities are okay with. What I'm concerned about is that the existing ratepayers of Kentucky American don't get hosed because they pay more than they should for water system and then have the existing customers pay off the debt service on that. Right. Kentucky American, as far as I'm concerned, is already charging their customers for a water treatment system based on, down on pool three that never should have been approved by the PSC and is not needed because the per capita water usage is declining and not increasing. But be that as it may, they got more capacity than they need. So they're in a growth mode and um, the systems that they pick up are not the really failing systems that somebody needs to pick up, like the Martin counties. Um, they are systems where they think that they can, you know, they can put it into the rate base and they can get the customers to pay for the, the acquisition and build their empire. So we were very concerned about it right now. The bill has changes that we wanted and changes that everybody else wanted and the PSC has signed off on it. So we are comfortable that it doesn't force the PSC to value anything higher than they want to. Uh, the other bill is 272. 
which is the water district's efforts to uh, get mandated 10% late fees that the Public Service Commission can't disallow. It's special legislation and it's foolish legislation because we just for the first time got federal appropriations for a new fund for low income water and sewer users to be able to get bill assistance the same way that LIHEAP does for energy bills. Right. And what this will do, if, if the rules are gonna be the same as the LIHEAP rules, which we think they are, then you are, if, as a low income customer can't even get bill assistance until you're late. So the idea of imposing a 10% late fee is not gonna change your behavior. What it's gonna do is drain this low income, uh, low income assistance fund. And so we think it is a foolish, it's special legislation. We're trying to kill it in the Senate, but we will take it to court if it gets through. Well, what I would like to do in our last few minutes is just uh, just go down the list, just to just to clarify on where where organizations stand on these bills. The Kentucky Academy of Science hasn't really taken a position on the on the last two, but I'm sharing my screen right now, and hopefully that's working. But uh, the first. The first bill, House Bill, just going back to the top of the list, House Bill 159, that's um, would be taking water fluoridation, basically exempting uh, areas from water fluoridation. I think, I think every organization is opposed to that one. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the Cabinet for Health and Family Services is as well. And I, I reached yeah. out to the KDA, and they're they're opposed to it as well. And they've written a, written a letter, and we are too. And that was not moving, so we don't really have to worry about that one too much. And KSE is against it as well. Right. There's also a Senate version of that same bill. Right. Right. Uh, House Bill 260, the plastics ban, that was not really moving. We thought it would be, you know, we, we thought that was a good idea, but um, it's not really going anywhere. Uh, uh, as far as the HB 559, that requires the Energy Environment Cabinet to set PFAS, PFAS chem chemical limits. Does everyone favor that one? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but you know, it, anytime you can bring attention to the issue, EPA will be coming out with standards uh, before this administration is done. Um, and uh, uh, but it's you know, it's good that people understand the issue, and that's a great one for you all to raise some understanding about not only PFAS but also the body burden that we all have in our adipose tissue of some of these ubiquitous chemicals that. Uh, uh, persist in the atmosphere, uh, persist in the environment, uh, in our food, in our water, such as PCBs, uh, uh, you know, dioxins, furans. Um. Right, right. Um, House Bill 207, the utilities preemption bill, and House Bill 386, the mixing zone bioaccumulation. It, it sounds like it sounds like both of your organizations are against those, but you've been, but you've been communicating with the sponsors. Yeah. Oh yeah. You always yep. want to communicate with sponsors. If you're, if you're going to oppose a bill, they need to be the first one to know that you oppose a bill. It's, right. Cause it, it's toxic for them to find out that you've been talking about their bill without talking to them. Very good point. Advanced recycling, HB 345. It got uh, sent to committee and it got posted today. It's not coming up tomorrow. And it'd be very difficult for it to get through the process this late in the game. Mm -hmm. But the cabinet has major concerns that, first of all, it's not necessary because there's already a process by which you can petition to say that the way that you're handling a waste and recycling it is not waste management. Uh, but this would um, potentially cause 
us to lose primacy for our waste management program. It's a bill that basically, it, you know, the Chemical Industry Council has bills that like ALEC, they say, hey, here's a neat idea. Let's get the states to, um, to pass this change. Uh, there's no companies that are coming in that view that that are dealing with advanced recycling right now that aren't already doing it. Uh, and so it's really a bill that we think is unnecessary and the cabinet has real concerns with. Uh, but I checked the agenda. It's not it's posted, but it's not listed on the agenda tomorrow. And tomorrow may be the last regular meeting uh, of that committee. Question. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, but there are a lot of bills like this that are making their way through other states or have been proposed in other states. So yep. it would be good if your organization could think about trying to help educate people on what advanced recycling is and what it's all about and what the what the downsides are as far as toxics and things like that. That's a, that's a really good point, Lane. Uh, we do have a couple of questions that if we get, we're running a little late, I want to be respectful of your time, but uh, we maybe just some quick answers here. And then, and then I wanted to just wrap up and give any a chance for Kaylin to make any comments or questions and, and anybody else to have any final thoughts. But uh, John also asked about the alternative to 272, which is the uh, allows water companies to charge up to 10%. Um, he said, what happens when bills are too high? What's the alternative to that? What happens when bills are too high and customers can't, get their bills caught up um, and there's a health crisis for water, et cetera. Well, what was interesting is during the uh, during 2020, the, the commission suspended late fees and suspended cutoffs. Uh, and what they found out is late fees don't affect residential behavior because even though they weren't being imposed late fees, people were still paying the way they always paid. Um, the, the alternative to imposing uh, 10% late fees, which just compounds the problem for people that can't pay their bills, is to uh, is a to extend assistance, bill assistance to them. Um, second is to offer audits that may find ways to, to install low flow uh, 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 shower heads and other things that would help them conserve water, mm -hmm. uh, and to check and see if there's any uh, I and I problems in terms of of water loss. Uh, and the third is to do flexible billing uh, so that that I may not, if I, if I am on public assistance of some form, I may not have all the money at the first of the month to pay my bill, but maybe I could pay half now and half later, right? And so that is, you know, those are all alternatives. You know, the utilities are not losing money, right? They may be losing the use value of the money in the short term, the cash flow, but their unrecoverable debts get folded into the rate base during the next rate case and get paid off. So it's not like there, it's not like this is their, but they're losing money here. And the question is whether they get to, to sock a 10% fee on people that by definition can't pay the bill in the first place. Jason says HB 272 and uh, House Bills 465, there's legislation in Virginia that looks very different from this. I guess they focus on low income communities. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that's all I have as far as, as bills to cover. So I wanted to give anybody any, any you know, last minute comments or questions, time for any last minute comments or questions before we wrap up tonight. Kaylin, do you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation before we? Yeah, Tennessee is cool and so is science. So like, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, Kentucky Academy of Science and Kentucky's percentage of education, we've, we formed this relationship and working group and I hope it I hope it continues to grow and evolve 
and we pull in more and more scientists who are, who are interested in science policy, and we can continue working together in the future and foster those relationships with legislators en enough that we, you know, are comfortable talking to them before a bill comes up. You know, it happened so quickly this time, we were trying to review them, you know, just uh, bills on top of each other coming very, very quickly, and we spent I don't know how many hours that Saturday, Kaylin and I and, and a bunch of others going through all these bills. We reviewed them for six and a half hours straight. And um, by the time we got through some of them, some of the bills were, were, you know, had already passed the original committee. So, you know, it, it seemed like it was too late for us to, to do something about it. But uh, uh, hopefully in the future, we will have built those relationships and uh, it'll, it'll work out a little bit more smoothly next well well, that's where I want to give a shout out to uh, Randy's work that he does with KCC, because uh, when these bills hit, you know, on the website pretty late at night, uh, he and I are both up half the night texting each other about bills. And it, it really does help when you have a team. So, um, yeah, it's not easy. It, it certainly does. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you all so, so much for joining us. Uh, this, is, this has been really helpful and uh, our members are commenting. They're very happy to, to have us all working together. So we really do appreciate that. Well, thanks for having us. All right. Well, everyone have a, good, have a good night and uh, we'll see you next time maybe. All right, look forward to it. Thanks. Thank you.